Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 77 of Citizen Dave. We are back after a brief hiatus while everybody was out doing fun things. How are you guys? Tired. Yes. From too many fun yeah. things. We're right there, t exhausted. Uh, yeah, Karen always has too many fun things, and I get to sit at home yeah. and watch her Instagram and be like... Yeah. So, as always, we're joined by the always fun times of Karen Peterson. Hi. Uh, Lauren Humphreys Brooks. Hello. And Kimberly Pierce. Hello. And we got a lot of stuff to get to, so we're just gonna jump right into it with what's been going on in the world of social media. Everybody seems to be shooting themselves in the foot. Twitter is a bad thing if you are a celebrity. It is a bad combination to have a keyboard and be famous. Think before you tweet. But they don't. They don't. Okay, so so it started off with a, a very brief comment in a magazine that Angelica Houston made disparaging palms, talking about how she didn't want to be part of a cheerleading movie with old women. And Jackie Weaver told her in a different interview to go fuck herself. <laughs> and I was just like... <laughs> I don't want my old ladies to fight. Please just, can't we all get along? Why? Um, but we're going to get back to Angelica Houston later. And then it, it culminated with the PSD resistance that is Joe Carnahan. So Joe Carnahan made a movie. He, he co-wrote a film uh, called El Chicano that came out last week. Didn't see it? Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, but he, he's been going on this tear about how it's, going to fix diversity and everybody needs to go see it. Well, critics came out, they didn't really like it. Uh, full disclosure, I did not review the movie, but I did get to interview Joe Carnahan the week before when everything was like good. Um, but uh, reviews were not kind. So Joe Carnahan decided to take to Twitter and called it quote, open season on critics and proceeded to take their images and retweet them on his Twitter, calling them out. And then he would go into certain tw uh, Twitter accounts of certain critics, specifically uh, Carlos Aguilar, and start commenting and trolling them uh, to a point that was just really upsetting. Um, he admitted that he was drunk while he was doing all of this before finally deleting Twitter after a bunch of big critics told him, like, dude, you really need to cut the shit. Um, so Joe Carnahan doesn't have Twitter anymore. Um, in case you were curious, Joe Carnahan's also the director that said that if anybody uh, didn't like that he put Mel Gibson in his latest movie, that he would block them. And I believe Lauren was still <laughs> oh, that not that blocked. Guy. I completely yeah. forgot about that. Like, no, he never blocked me. I, I, I called him names several times. Wow. Funny Man, thing. I'm just not important enough. I'm just not important enough. Well, here's the oh, thing well. about... Here's the thing about what he was saying to and about Carlos. So Carlos Aguilar, he's a critic here in LA. He wrote a really beautiful article last year about the about the movie Roma and talked all about his experiences being a dreamer here in California and how he, you know, some of the, the things that he had to miss out on that his family is going through back in Mexico and stuff because he can't go home. And it was this beautiful, beautiful article. And Carnahan says you suck as a writer i'm like hmm well maybe we should send you this article and you can talk about that some more but then he also went on to say like 
well, you're you're from Mexico, so you don't understand what it's like to be a, a Hispanic person from, from East LA. Yeah. And all this, like, it was just like, what the fuck are you talking about, man? Like, and then just... he was quoting, he was quoting that he's proof that quote the days of Pauline Kale, Roger Ebert, and Andrew Saris are dead. Yeah. Yep. Ouch. Yeah. Um, this seems to be a chronic thing. We talked about this on the last episode, Karen, where, where we were talking about directors not understanding that critics are fans. They believe that we're just out to, like, get them. Mm -hmm. And that's not the case at all. And, and as someone you and I both have met, Carlos, like, we all know what we're making, you know, which is very little to no money in some, some circles. Um, and so to have a, a director with a large following jump into your mentions and and feel the need to like tell you and, and keep in mind Carlos was had written uh, a tweet about how you know he was really upset that he had gotten a bunch of rejections and that's when Carnahan came in with you suck as a writer really yeah really what are you nine you know you you have to bring somebody down just and Carlos didn't even write a bad review. His review was mixed. Mm -hmm. So it was just that you didn't get glowing praise. That's what you wanted. Yeah. Um, and, and as somebody who likes Carnahan's films, I, I, I've mentioned that to people. I, I mean, I like his movies, but he's a bro. I mean, you, you can tell that right off the bat when you meet him. He is a vi very much a film bro. Um, and I think that this is representative of that. Once again, we're seeing, you know, these white guys feel that they if they're not getting glowing praise that they have to to say something they have to they they don't know not to it's it's so clearly punching down that's that's the thing like you you've exactly. got like, you, like you're saying you've got someone who has who's a big film director makes you know films that get shown in amc you know all of that stuff and has a major following on twitter and then is turning around and taking pot shots at a critic who didn't gave him inadequate praise basically like you're saying this isn't even a bad review this was like uh this, there are issues with the film which is what a critic is supposed to fucking do there are no perfect films first of all and and second of all that that's what you buy into when you're an artist you have to accept the fact that there are going to be people including people who are critics and who know something about art who aren't going to like your stuff and that's okay that's just something that we all have to deal with um, and then just coming out like this, and this is kind of on top of, and I, I think you guys talked about this uh, last week, the, this is on top of a lot of artists and directors and people even outside of film really losing their shit at the fact that critics are not giving them adequate praise. And it's like, guys, just don't read the reviews. You don't have to. Like, you don't have to buy into any of this stuff. But taking pot shots at critics for, you know, being failed artists or for you know not getting it or something like that is just it it's it's fucking exhausting like please just stop this isn't worth it exactly um that was exactly kind of what, I, what lauren was saying what i was right going right along with it's people have been getting bad reviews for you know for as long as probably there's been some form of printed media i mean what has changed is our ability to immediately respond to these bad reviews and i think a big chunk of this is social media people can get you know these filmmakers can get drunk and tweet and it's just don't click on the reviews don't read the reviews i mean it's it's happened ebert has reviewed people poorly pauline kale reviewed people poorly these 
you know, you're an artist, your film's getting wide distribution. Why do you have such a thin skin? It everybody's dealing with it. Everybody will always deal with it. Just these these film bros, because it's mostly men who have been leading this charge, right? I don't think I've seen many filmmaker female filmmakers come out and go, you know, ouch, these critics are being mean. You know, just keep making your movies. Just do the best you can do and don't read the reviews. <laughs> well, that brings us to a woman who kind of had a problem on social media, Constance Wu. This literally happened within the last 24 hours. So yesterday was the day that a lot of studios, television studios, announced what was going to be renewed and what was going to be canceled. And ABC announced that they had renewed Fresh Off the Boat. They also canceled Speechless, which still hurts me, but they, they renewed Fresh Off the Boat, and Constance Wu proceeded to kind of show she wasn't happy about it. She went on their uh, the Fresh Off the Boat Instagram and wrote dislike on the renewal message. Um, somebody had sent uh, a congratulations to her and she said, no, I'm not happy. I'm crying right now. Um, she was very, very upset by the fact that her show got renewed. And then that turned into a wave of which she should be grateful sentiment. So we got a couple things to break down. First off, the fact that she does not want to be on the show. If there's, it's a twofold issue for me. You never walk away from a hit. That's that's kind of television writing 101. Yep. You never walk away from a, a show that's got success. Uh, but at the same time, I had been hearing rumblings for the last year that she was really unhappy on the show and that she had wanted to leave, especially after the success of Crazy Rich Asians, that she had wanted to to go do movies. So feeling confined to this sitcom has to be creatively stifling for her. But at the end of the day, you never make that publicly known, that you're just, like, not happy. Um, but I think we all had a bigger issue with the fact that it turned into this whole concept of she should be grateful she should, you know, if she doesn't like it, look at the careers of Shelley Long and Katherine Heigl and all these other women mm -hmm. who didn't like the roles they were being given. And that's where the problems began. Lauren, I know that you you and Karen were talking about this <laughs> uh, on the Slack channel. So where where do you guys stand on, on Constance Wu's um, Twitter? Twitter, it was, I don't want to call it a rant, but Twitter comments and the backlash that came out. Uh, I, I will start with saying that, like, I within about five minutes, I went from, yeah, that's kind of shitty, to, fuck y'all, Constance Wu could say whatever the hell she wants to, like, I, legitimately, and I think that <laughs> some of this is, is a result of all, all of the other things that have been going on in this country today, uh, involving women, and women expressing their opinions, and, and women, you know, having right to physical autonomy, and things like that, so I got a little upset. Um, yeah, I mean, on, on the one hand, you do have to say it's a bad, it is a bad look. Like she, it is bad to, to take to social media to express your anger or your, your sorrow or something like that at a show that really did launch her career. I mean, I don't think that she would have gotten crazy rotations without it. Um, and it's a show that I generally like, you know, I've enjoyed watching it. Um, I like her on it. She, it, it was the show that like made me aware of her as a comedian and as an actress, and I like that. 
Um, so that's, that's kind of on the one side that it's not, it isn't a great look and it is kind of denigrating also the number of people that really depend upon the show for their livelihoods and kind of wishing that, you know, they didn't have that anymore. The reaction, the, the attitude of like, you know, this woman, this woman of color, right, cannot have emotions, cannot be publicly emotional about something that maybe she's sick of. And, you know, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. We don't know what kind of shit she's going through, if she's going through any shit. You know, we, we really have no awareness of that. All we have are the public, is the public information, the public reaction, and the rumors, right, about her. And to see then all of these particularly men but some women, but particularly men, going out of like, oh, she's so ungrateful. She's being inadequately, you know, grateful to to ABC or to the television show that she got her start on. Um, and and being like, well, you know, she should call up Katherine Heigl. And it's like, oh, we're going to bring up Katherine Heigl now? Are we going to really talk about what went down with Katherine Heigl and the bullshit that she went through from the media, from Seth Rogen, from Judd Apatow, from all of these. And it expands it to that bigger issue of the difficult woman, <laughs> the woman who is not I'm... adequately nice, who is not who does not behave correctly, who sometimes loses her shit publicly. And that that's not OK. We can't have that. No, no, no. You've got to be you've got to be nice about everything. You have to be properly um you, you have to properly bow to the corporation or to the television show that, you know, you owe something to. And that was sort of bullshit. So, yeah, that that set me off. And I think that there's a lot of stuff that's going on. Should she have done it? No, probably not. It, it's not a great idea, just in terms of PR. On the other side, I kind of get it. And to see all of these people going off on her being, like, not properly grateful, I was like, no, she... Let her say whatever the fuck she wants to. And you know what? If that's problematic, fine. So that was sort of my trajectory. Well, and, and as someone who is the, the big Katherine Heigl stan, uh, who, who would love to write these numerous articles about how she's been maligned by Hollywood since she was a child, um, it's always funny that, that she's kind of the golden girl when it comes to being ungrateful. Um, and and Shelley Long, I think, is another great example going all the way back yeah. to the 80s. You know, these were women that might have, you know, for me, difficult, and thank you, thank you, Lauren, for sharing the article that I wrote about it. Difficult to me means something different in Hollywood than I think most people assume. And it's because in Hollywood, difficult means bitch, and bitch means difficult. And those are the two different things. And really, as we've seen in Hollywood, being a bitch, if you're a man, just means you get what you want. If you're a woman, it means that you're a rude person who is ungrateful, who doesn't deserve anything good. And that's a lot of different definitions to put in one word. Um, and, and Constance Wu, you know, yes, she probably shouldn't have gone through Twitter to try to get fired um, from her show. But to say that because she doesn't want to work means that she doesn't deserve a career is a real problem. I, I... My feelings on this were a little bit different, and maybe that's just because in the era that we're in, I'm willing to give people a little bit, women, a little bit more of a benefit of the doubt. My thing was, 
I didn't just automatically assume, because she didn't even say it, I didn't automatically assume she wants out of the show just because she wants a movie career. My first inclination was, man, what's going on there? Like, is she, like, how is she being treated on the set? Like, are people bowing down to her? Not that I want them to, but, I mean, she's awesome as an actress. But, you know, like, are there things going on that we just don't know about? And are there other reasons that she's unhappy? Is it just about her wanting to go make movies now? Because, I mean, I'm not going to just assume that for women anymore, you know? So there was that was my one of my initial thoughts. And, I mean, honestly, after seeing some of the stuff that people like Joe Carnahan have done in the last couple weeks, I was like, I don't know why people are <laughs> acting like she's melting down. She's saying she's unhappy. She's not freaking out and going on tirades and ranting all over the place about it. I thought, I mean, there are probably better ways that she could have handled what she was trying to say, but I actually thought her reactions were kind of funny. Like when she posts on Instagram, dislike. She wasn't saying like, fuck this shit, I'm out. She was like, dislike. I was like, that's, I'm just like, man, if she's not happy... Let's figure out a way to, like, either make things better for her on the set, or maybe it's time to, you know, Valerie her. I don't know. <laughs> but, um, I just, yeah. that I, I kept thinking, too, about your Difficult Women article, Kristen, and especially Katherine Heigl. And, and it, it really is so frustrating that we continually make all these passes for Matisse or tours, but for women they're just a bitch and it's just yeah. I'm so tired of that I am so tired of it could she have handled things a little bit better maybe did she need to I don't think so and honestly I wish more people that were more actors that were unhappy in their jobs even if they shouldn't be like even if things are great and they should they should be you know they should be considering how fortunate they are I wish more people would be open about how unhappy they are because a, I think a lot of these people are, I'm not saying she is, but I think a lot of people are suffering from mental illness that they don't talk about. We need to destigmatize that. And B, I think so many people go into acting because it looks like this glamorous, amazing thing and it's never going to be hard. And if people are more open about not being able to do anything they want, even when they get to the level of having a number one movie, you know, but it can probably scare people away a little bit that really shouldn't be going into acting in the first place. So I just, that's my thing. I just, I wish people would be more honest about how they feel about stuff, maybe in productive ways. So do we, where do we think, uh, Oh, go on Kim. Oh, I think about, when I was watching that go down, I think I was kind of, I guess with Lauren and the respect of there's God, it's like, there's gotta be a, better way to do that kind of looking at that from the optics side and really thinking about shows are so much more than just you know we see the faces of the show we see what gets put on tv and i thought about this with roseanne as well when that was all going down you know the show was you know rumored rumor has it was getting canceled because of things she said you know feeling bad for those the craft services people the lighting people the people who revolve on these livelihoods and you know the the face of the show you know quote unquote wants to you know wants it to get canceled for reasons we don't know about it was like that's that's hard you know i guess i I struggle with that. I completely hear, Karen, everything you're saying, and I think you make some incredibly valid points in terms of we all should be more open and honest, but there's such, you know, and you hear, and I think it's still going to be a long time getting over 
that fear of, yeah, looking, looking ungrateful. There's so many people who want to get into that industry who have it. And she's seeing that backlash now because people, you have a hit show and now you want to get bigger. You don't hear the same, you know, another name that was getting tossed around as somebody who badmouthed, you know, their livelihood. And you frankly don't hear much more about David Caruso. Mm -hmm. And there's such a history with that. And it was, it was as watching that go down in the moment, it was like, ooh, ooh, I, it's, this is a hard one for me because I can completely hear all sides, but man, from the optics side, watching it from outside, it's really not a good look. You know, one of the, I think that you make good points, Kim. Uh, I, I think one of the things that kind of kept on coming up for me, and this this is just personal to me because this is something I know about is the Avengers. Yes. And when Diana Rigg left that show, there was all of this talk about her being difficult, being, you know, being a bitch, wanting too much, wanting this, wanting that. And what, and she talked very badly about the show for a very long time. Uh, but what basically came out, and this is in the 1960s, of course, so this is a completely, in some ways, a completely different universe. Um, but what finally came out was that the thing that she was, quote, being a bitch about, the thing that was the worst thing that all of these men were talking about, how dreadful she was, was that she found out that she was being yes. paid less than the cameraman on a, an internationally successful show. And she came back to them and said, I want more money, right? I want to be paid, you know, she's the co-star of the show. I want to be paid more money. And that this spiraled into basically her winding up and her leaving the show. And so, yeah, you do have to begin to ask when these kinds of things go down is how, how much of it is about money, how much of it is about respect, the amount of, you know, understanding and, and like caring that is going on on the set you know there's all sorts of stuff that we don't know is happening behind the scenes and the the difficulty with that is to then turn around and be like oh this woman is just being a bitch whenever i think that kristen's pointing out i think we've all pointed out whenever you begin to have the, the terms bitch or difficult things like that getting thrown around you're like okay what's actually going on uh because yeah i mean thinking looking back at that what did weinstein use to get Oh, Ashley Judd out of the yeah. running for Lord of exactly. the Rings. She's a bitch and hard to work with because she said no to sex. Exactly. So there, there are always question marks when those kinds of mm -hmm. words get bandied around. Yeah, and that's the thing. And it's like, I mean, I haven't heard any, maybe they're out there, I just don't pay attention, but I haven't heard any specific stories about anything. I've heard some of the, the things about Constance being like difficult, but I haven't heard any specifics. So that makes me question it automatically right off the bat. Well, what's she doing that makes her so difficult? Yep. I'm, yeah. Um, so do we think she's going to stay with the show or where do we think the fallout's going to go from here? I think she's going to do a final season and then it'll be over. That makes sense. That, that walking back says it probably will. I mean, if it keeps going, I bet we see mom go on a nice long vacation or they get divorced or I something. If, I think it would depend upon her contract, too. She must not be able, if she really wants out, she must not be able to get out of her contract. Right. She probably has, she probably signed a deal after the second season, because that's pretty common, as a three or four year deal. So probably she has one more year on her contract. And then she would be up to renew it. That's my guess. Mm -hmm. I don't know for sure. But that's pretty That's pretty usually how they do it with TV. And so um, 
So she probably, by contract, has to do at least one more season. Hopefully, for her sake, it's not more than that, and she can leave after six, but who knows? I mean, and ABC is in a bit of a flux right now because they'll be losing What Modern Family after next season. Yeah. So, I mean, depending on the show's ratings, you know, will if they need, if they don't have any solid comedy pilots, they might need to keep this one going another year, all things depending. If they have something strong enough that can jump in and bump them, maybe this will go in favor of something stronger. Who knows? But I, I have yeah. to say, having watched, like, I've, I've watched the show pretty continuously. The, if you look at some of the earlier seasons, there's a lot more focus on the family, on the kids. And within the past one or two seasons there's been tons of focus on her character specifically and like going through all of these different fluctuations and and i i like her i enjoy her i enjoy the character but there's definitely an imbalance so i wonder if there's been a lot more like script pressure on her to that that makes her unable to go off and do other things you know she definitely did crazy rich asians at the same time but when did that come in and that that kind of thing has to be exhausting Mm-hmm. To have so much of the show, of a television show, kind of putting emphasis on the performance that you're giving, and then also trying to do other things to continue to advance your career and to, and to appear in things that she wants to do. So it's, I don't know, I we're really quick to condemn this kind of thing, and I, I think that we need to not be. All of exactly. us, myself included. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it's a. Uh... People need to start thinking about what they do before they tweet it. Just take a couple of minutes to. But also, you know. we need to think about what people are tweeting before we react to it. Yeah. Yes, it's a twofold process. Yeah. The, uh, the rant was three tweets and an Instagram comment. Right. Yeah. That was a rant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So moving on, we're going to go back to Angelica Houston really quickly. We talked about discussing it last week on Twitter. We didn't record last week, so um, she had done a really amazing interview with Vulture, which I've read, um, and it's it's so great, because um, I love her, but I'm also very afraid of her. Um, <laughs> her answers are great, but some of these questions are Some of these questions are, yeah, um, a little specious, but um, she, she had talked a lot about a lot of things in her, her very amazing life. Um, so obviously she had disparaged Palms. Which I kind of wanted the the um, interviewer to say, you want to hate on Palms, but you started Daddy Daycare. Explain that dichotomy to me. Uh, there's a question. But uh, most people got really, really flustered about the questions that she was asked regarding Roman Polanski and Woody Allen. And Jeffrey Tambor as well. Uh, so she openly admitted that she would work with Woody Allen um, in a heartbeat if he asked. Uh, she feels that a lot of what happened with Jeffrey Tambor should have stayed on the set. What happens on the set stays on the set. Um, and she did talk in depth about Roman Polanski. And what I find more than any of her comments in this interview that she talks about, um, I thought, think the Roman Polanski ones are really interesting because she was there when it happened. Um, she has always claimed that she did not know what was going on, but she was there. When it went down, when everything um, went down, and she was talking about how it's uh, a different era for for men. So her exact her exact comments were, quote, "It's a story that could have happened ten years before in England or France or Italy, and no one would have heard anything about it. And that's how these guys enjoy their time. 
It was a whole Playboy movement in France when I was a young girl, 15, 16 years old. You would go to Castel in Paris and the older guys would all hit on you. It was de rigueur for most of those guys like Roman who had grown up with the European sensibility. So that was quote one. And that's kind of what everybody latched on to. But then there was quote two, where she was talking about how essentially men are still doing that. Only now it's, it's you know, for her, there seems to be more of an extreme. Um, and it's really fascinating to me because I, I mean, that argument's been used before where he's concerned that, oh, it's, that's just how they are in Europe. But I think it says a lot more about her because later in the interview, they, they ask about the fact that she did date a 42-year-old man uh, when she was 18. She brings up uh, an education, the film, and the interviewer says, yeah, but you were legal at the time and there was no, you know, he doesn't bring up rape and questionable consent. But it sounds like, based on her comments, this is something that she's just experienced throughout her life. And, and reconciling it now with the modern way that we look at it, it's, it's something that's difficult for her that she doesn't really see because she's just been so inured to it. And as somebody who, I mean, grew up with John Hewson as your dad and, you know, dated Jack Nicholson, like the men she's been around. It made me really sympathize for her because obviously she does not see how uh, she sees that that men are exploitative, but there there seems to be some sort of rationalization in her head that is really fat. That's really weird. I don't know, Karen. What do you think? I I don't know. I I think the problem is that this this person that did this article doesn't ask or at least doesn't share what the follow-up questions were because when she's talking about what happened or how things were in Europe and how common that was and then he goes on to yeah well women were treated like they were disposable and she's like I think they still are and then she tells stories about things that are happening now but I want to know like where's the follow-up question of what did you think about that not this is what was going on but what were your feelings about it do you think that that was acceptable? If you were you now, back then, what would you do differently? Would you do anything differently? Where are those questions? Right, and he does ask her, you know, did you have what would qualify as a Me Too experience? And she says yes, and and she kind of goes, and he asks what happened, and she says, that's how, uh, you have to ask me that on a daily basis. That's how often it happens that you're objectified or misread or put down. At the same time, she, and, and I don't know how edited this interview is, she seems to be confusing the two things. So she does feel that, yes, women are objectified and they're put down, and she's definitely experienced that. But when it comes to actual, like, crimes, you know, rules that have been broken that are not legal, either he doesn't go far enough or she hedges. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing, like, where are the follow-up questions? Yeah. Exactly. Um, but I, I do think this interview is more cut. People were promoting this as, you know, Angelica Houston supports Roman Polanski and Jeffrey Tambor and Woody Allen. I Which think I don't see where it says that at all. <laughs> no, exactly. And I think that, that that requires you to really look at what she's saying and and really feel feel upset that, you know, she's obviously experienced so much uh, from from the men that she's interacted with and you know she just kind of poo-poo's it away is like well that's just how men are you know they don't need to be anymore but that's that's how they are like it just I think it says a lot more about her 
than than it does the the men that have done this um and and maybe that's what we should be talking about more now you know how how decades hold on kim Uh, i was gonna say how decades how decades of this like internalized objectification manifests kim what were you gonna say Well, can we talk about that one question? It came particularly early in the interview, and it turned me off as soon as I read it. There is a portion where the interviewer reads openly a point, an early review of her, or an early review about her. And it's the kind of shit that we, frankly, rate critics over the coals for doing now, talking very little about her performance, focusing more on her physical appearance. And the interview just reads it with really no other point. It's basically reading it out in a shrug, and she's expected to answer to it. I think this interviewer, frankly, is as guilty as some of the men they're talking about, because that question I thought was absolutely horrendous and then he seems to get almost insulted that she doesn't want to talk about it. I think she's got a pretty pretty baller answer to that though where (laughs) she was like I wouldn't have quoted it had you not included it in your memoir and she's like I think the news there is he's dead and I'm not and he's like you think he's dead he must be I looked him up he's 93 years old he's alive he's dead as far as I'm concerned. I couldn't believe yeah, that fucking interview yeah. pu- interviewer pushed that fucking point. That really pissed me it, off. He thinks he's so smart. It's, oh, that made me so mad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just, I, again, as somebody who who loves Angelica Houston, but is also deathly afraid of her, um, I, I there's there's a lot to be said about just how she, she looks at the world and at men um, especially, I, I was a little upset again that she she had to disparage palms as like being beneath her. Um, but but I think that there's far more to to her as a person than just saying that like oh she supports Woody Allen. I mean yeah, it is sad that she would make a Woody Allen movie, but as we've detailed numerous times in the show, like there are numerous dudes and you know that would work with Woody Allen in a second and they're not being called to the table regularly they should um and and for her you know she just kind of uses the old well that you know two states and he wasn't prosecuted which I I you know Diane Keaton's never said anything but she you know supports Woody Allen so I feel like you can't really give her shit without giving a wealth of other people that we've already talked about the same shit well, this this interview brings up such a point in terms of what I know what we've said on this podcast, just how complicated it gets when you're dealing with yeah. history. Yeah. I, this is such really recent history. It doesn't feel like it. But I mean, to me, and nothing disparaged against him. He was a great director. To me, when I think of toxic masculinity, one of the faces that pops into my head is John Houston. Yeah, I mean, and she's not he's, defending her dad. No, no, she well, I mean, and it's I'm not even saying that just in terms of she came look at where she came up, look at what she was around, look at classic Hollywood, the way, you know, things were looked at and let go in certain instances, this culture is changing so fast and so quickly some of these questions which were clearly set up to elicit answers out of her like the Woody Allen one like the Roman Polanski one I mean I've heard people setting up William Shatner and Angela Lansbury to try and say similar things it's 
generational stuff, things change. Culture is so quickly changing, and I think a lot of us are struggling to keep up. Well, yeah. I, I, I mean, to go back to the Roman Polanski stuff, one of the things that struck me just, and I'm just looking at it again, is that she, so she talks about, she does kind of hedge because she doesn't talk directly about Polanski. She talks about the culture. Right. And, and she talks about these 14, 15 year old girls, which is a totally honest response in terms of, and in fact, that's one of the things that's been discussed when it comes to Polanski's, not specifically Geimer, but, but Polanski's interest in very young girls, um, and, you know, sort of adolescent girls, 14, 15, 16 years old, is that that has been a very much a part of the culture. And that was very much a part of the culture, particularly in the 1960s and 70s and in Europe. So what she's saying is not disingenuous. It's very honest about the, the nature of the culture. The next answer to the next question is, this is still happening. I heard about this in the hairdressers yesterday. Let, and she gives like a short story about hearing about this girl who had been raped. So she's not saying oh yeah this is totally fine man like it's just men do whatever they want to and the that's girls great. were asking for it yeah, <laughs> yeah. Saying that. she she is that's not what she's saying now she might have other problematic uh ideas she might have other and i think that a lot of that is about her culture and about what she grew up with and what she saw and about the history of feminism and the history of women's rights and the history of the the continuous development of the of the sexual revolution, all of that stuff is all a part of who Angelica Houston is, both personally, professionally, and historically. And to just latch on to those one little things, just like Angelica Houston defends Roman Polanski and Woody Allen, it's like that's not what's going on. It's way more complicated than that. And you're also just misrepresenting the things that she has said. Uh, and and we saw the same thing happening with Kathleen Turner. Uh, we've seen this continuously, like you're saying, Kim, we've seen this continuously with particularly older actors and particularly older actresses um, being asked to weigh in on things that without any kind of historical context, without any kind of cultural context, and their places within feminist movements and within the, the issue of the sexual revolution and things like that. And it's irresponsible, it's bad journalism, and we need to start covering these things very differently than we are. This is my reminder that I will marry any Houston. I feel like I need to be a part of that family. So I'll take any of them. I will take any of them. Actually, I'll take three of them. But Well, I just wanted to to just kind of uh, jump onto what Lauren was saying too and just add on to that, that like, the way that she's answering these these older questions, the way some other some other actresses have, or not older questions, but questions about stuff from the past, you know, I think about things that I've been through in my life, and I mean, I've been through some shit, guys. And when I talk about it, I usually do talk about it in a very dismissive way because if I get into all the context of things that happened to me and things that were happening around me, it would break me, you know? So I have to distance myself from those things. And I see that happening a lot. And I think that that for us reading these articles now, we have to remember that it's not necessarily that they're actually dismissing what happened. It's just that they can't get into it you know, in the way that, that these things really would make more sense if they did. That's all. Okay. So, yeah. Angelica Houston, please don't turn into the Grand High Witch and come find us. We still 
I still like you. I still like you. The rest of them. Well, I'm not go so get cute. Kristen. I'm on your side, girl. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm telling you, The Witches is a documentary. Okay, so <laughs> I felt that way since I was like six years old. So, um, moving on. Um, I think we're gonna take a, a hard right to a question. Um, this comes from at Gamecock Mitch. Uh, Michelle D, if memory serves, she's saying, I'm listening to episode 12, which has inspired my question for the dames. What are your current Chris rankings? I love this question because my current Chris rankings change so often. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Not usually number one, but two and three are very fluid, but (laughs) (laughs) but it has totally changed now. Okay, well, Karen, what are they? Now I need to know. Uh, Well, uh, at the moment, Oh, my number one is Hemsworth. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, Pine, you gotta step it up. Um, he is number two. Number three is Evans, and number four, Chris Sullivan. There he is. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure mine are exactly the same as yours, with the exception of I have no idea who number four is. So. <laughs> Chris Sullivan is on This Is Us. He was also oh. Taserface in the MCU. And Why didn't I think of all of that? <laughs> um, so yeah, my number four would just be empty because I would rather not have anybody there. I'd rather have a blank, like, like blank space. Um, and then when you get down to ten, you'll find Chris Pratt. Um, so yeah, those are <laughs> those are my currents. So, yeah, yeah, Karen and I are, are Hemsworth. The headline. For, for the, the headline on that is going to be Chris. Kristen puts. Chris Pratt in her top 10, so. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, Lauren, what about you? What are your current Chris rankings? Uh, you know, I was trying to, I was thinking about this, and I was like, well, no, but he, but he should be a little bit, high, but maybe not. Like, yeah, I think I think probably Hemsworth, Pine, Evans, and, and Plummer. <laughs> <laughs> I love all the other Chris's that we're putting in here. It's very creative. Uh, Kim, what about you? I'm going to be the different, I'm going to be the uh, different one okay. here. Uh, and everyone can probably guess how this is going to go. Uh, Evans, Pine, Hemsworth, and the other one, because I can't think of a more creative Christine. I thought she was going to obviously put like Donald Gleason or something on there. That's Kim. Well, if, if maybe his name is Christopher, a middle name. She'll, I don't she'll know. Rename that? She'll rename him. She'll rename him. Well, that brings us to some Hemsworth-related news that came out. Uh, this came out a couple days ago, and I'm pretty sure it was, like, like level five alert for, for me, at least. Um, this is coming out of The Hollywood Reporter, uh, and it's the announcement that Chris Hemsworth and Tiffany Haddish are going to star in a cop action comedy called Down Under Cover. <laughs> Which Just sounds like porn. title sounds like a porn. Oh my god. It sounds so fun. Um, it's gonna have Chris Hemsworth quote play a cop who goes undercover to solve a string of casino heists where a troop of Australian male erotic dancers are suspected as the culprit. I and told Tiffany... you that dance in Ghostbusters was an audition. <laughs> <laughs> and Tiffany Haddish uh, is going to play a lone wolf detective who has to team up with him. Um, okay, so you had me at Chris Hemsworth plays a uh, Chippendale, okay? <laughs> um, it's Thunder I, from Down Under, Kristen. I don't give Come on. A, Thun- Yeah, it's Thunder from Down Under. Come on. Ratings, okay, <laughs> the point is, is he's playing a stripper, uh, which... 
I can't, I can't, my face right now is just like 17 shades of I am so happy. <laughs> please let Christmas. this be an R-rated comedy, please. Yeah, it has Christmas to be. Christmas and well, my I'm, birthday I... and like New Year's Eve and like 30 years of, of happiness have just like all converged into one moment and it's this <laughs> moment right now. I will, I will go public with saying this. As someone who has seen that troupe live a few times, <laughs> he should do a live tryout. <laughs> wow. <laughs> my my best friend they tour karen they I tour. Them once them once on the tour. but anyway oh my god my best friend has been trying to get me to go and see them and i just i don't I, see i'm a, i'm a, okay full disclosure i'm a germaphobe when it comes to that so the concept of like happens at these things I, people are sticky and sweaty and they're all packed in like one room. i don't need no no oh, no <laughs> you're at like a table like exactly where's that table been i don't know it's a dinner show in vegas they only jump on the table once (laughs) kristen 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 how much you have to learn (laughs) yeah i'm also the girl that has a whole argument on how like lap dances i just can't handle that nope Mm -hmm. can't do it okay maybe if it was a hemsworth i would feel differently but it's a stranger who I don't know, and I haven't been properly introduced. So, like, I my need, only takeaway yeah. from Thunder from but Down Under so was I can never hear that Enrique Iglesias song "Hero" again the same way. <laughs> <laughs> Dare I ask why? For me, it was "Save a Horse." Oh my God. <laughs> Kristen, if you want to know why, you gotta go. No, it sounds like they have horrible taste in music, so I don't know if I could. Okay. <laughs> Um, that's it. That's, that's the mo- the message. There's literally nothing else about this movie other than the fact that it exists. And if it does not happen, I will literally go to Film Nation or whoever is repping. It's, uh, yeah, they're handling the international sales. I'll find the U.S. people and I will be very upset because I demand dancing Hemsworth playing an Australian male erotic dancer. Um, I feel like that's, that's, well, that's what he's the been- end credits of Ghostbusters, so... That's true, but I feel like this is a role he's been auditioning for his entire life. This could be the Oscar <laughs> role, okay? This could be his Melissa McCarthy and Bridesmaids moment. You don't know. God. Comedy gets Oscar noms too, Karen. <laughs> yes, yes it does. Um, so, Lauren, you saw Endgame finally. You wanted to <laughs> rant about it. You get exactly two minutes. Uh, I, I just, like, I am just... The only thing that I wanted to say is that I am like continuously angry that they fridged Black Widow. That is like, yeah. I watched that and I saw I saw yep. it coming yep, and yep, yep. I was like, why? Why are you doing this? And and I we were talking about this uh, on on Twitter I think about the you know girl power scene and sitting there going like, okay, look, you can feel however you want to about Black Widow. Um, you know, there, she has issues, Scarlett Johansson has issues, all of that shit. Uh, but, but she is kind of the first female hero in the MCU that she's the first one and they fucking fridged her before the final battle. So we didn't even get that. We're just like, oh, we're, yeah, girl power guys. Oh, we're going to completely forget about the fact that we just like straight up killed off one of the original like heroes heroines of this franchise so what what the fuck what the fuck and did it did it to save hawkeye like no as one of my did we forget that hawkeye was a serial killer we fucking hate first of all 
Hawkeye sucks. Second of all, <laughs> second of all, like as one of my friends pointed out on on Twitter, he was like a shell of his former self. The most noble thing he could have possibly done for his family was to die for them. Like it would have worked perfectly, and we would get rid of fucking Hawkeye. And he's been a non-entity in the MCU since what Ultron. Exactly. I mean, it, it didn't matter. And I'm sitting there going, like, you you ju- you fridged her for no reason. For no like if you wanted to kill her off, she could have died in the final battle. Right? And she could have died gloriously and heroically. But no, we have to kill her off to protect fucking Hawkeye and his fucking nuclear family. Like at, that was the point in the film where I was like, Well, I'm done. That's nice. Great. You just like completely killed my interest in this film. So yeah, that's all I wanted to say. Fuck you, Russo brothers. Uh, yeah, I, I had issues with that as well. Um, I, I the issues with the female characters just in general in yeah. that movie are worthy of their own episode entirely. Um, but yeah, I feel like we tended to forget that that Hawkeye like killed all those people. But like, it's okay. I don't think anybody forgot that. He even is saying like. I, you know what I did. I did terrible shit. Like, let me die. So it's not that it's not that they're trying to let have us forget that he did those things. They're very like right to the end. They're making us very aware of it. And but then it, he gets just, his happy family back and everything. Yeah, fine. like it's a little disingenuous. I don't think I don't think it's necessarily wrong. I just I I know what Lauren's speaking to, and I I definitely felt that. I totally get what you guys are saying. I felt differently about it, but I mean, but I totally get what you guys are saying and your points are valid. So I'm not going to argue with you. I I, I don't think, I don't think any of us are going to lose our friendship over Avengers Endgame. So, (laughs) you know, what would have remedied, you know, what would have remedied it for me was at least having more of a memory for her at that very, in the last sequence that there's, a funeral would have been nice. Even, you know, you get that huge scene for spoiler, 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 Tony. And it, there's barely a memory there of Natasha by that point. And it's. I assume they just left her body. That kind of mm-hmm. stung for me a little bit. Yeah, well, he had to leave her body on Vormir. Well, but... well but a tribute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, plaque. Well, yeah, no. I mean, the thing is that that she wasn't a major character. Tony was world internationally known. Like everybody knew Tony Stark, nobody knew Natasha because she was very much behind the scenes. And so, to me, that like made sense. But but I think that the film actually shows a disrespect towards her, and that was one yeah, of the well, issues that the I whole had. series has. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And and so, like I say, I I think that you know you have that sort of token girl power moment which i kind of liked but i was also like man why do we didn't really need this it doesn't which, make sense which like made me saying. cry <laughs> and no but but and you have that and you have all of these powerful female characters just like oh we're missing one we're missing we're missing one that you know for all of this movie paying so much tribute to its own past and the past of the franchise they just completely sidelined and and eliminated because i personally because i think that they didn't know what else to do with her um 
one of the major female characters that has been in most of the Avengers films and has actually been a pretty important facet of many of the Avengers films. She she joined the MCU before Chris Hemsworth did. So. And, and it's just and that it's it just felt so incredibly disrespectful from a franchise perspective. You know, not even just from a plot perspective, but from a franchise perspective. And I do th- I actually do think it would have made way more sense for Hawkeye to so- to sacrifice himself in order to save his family. Like that, that would have been emotional and it would have been brutal, but it would have been interesting. What, what they do with her is, is just, it's bad writing and it's bad plotting and it's disrespectful. I think part of the reason Hawkeye doesn't sacrifice himself though is for his family is because ultimately that's what Tony ends up doing. So why, I, I'm saying like, they're not going to have two dot, two dads sacrifice themselves. I mean, they fridge two women <laughs> in one in, uh, infinity and one in Endgame. So, Oh, infinity war. Definitely. Like I'm still pissed <laughs> about that because Gamora should not have gone out like that without fighting, you know, but, but I mean, they did yeah. the same thing. Like they, it, it's, it's the, it's a repetition of the same plot point. So, it is, except for in this case, she's making that decision. She has the agency, and she's deciding. It's not like deciding Gamora to who's die. Just pushed, to, you know. It's and and this is why I say, family. like, I'm. I, your points are valid. I'm not saying that you're wrong. I just we see it differently, and we disagree, and that's okay. Okay, so moving into uh, some brief trailer talk, uh, we have to talk about it because it's awesome. The first trailer for it, Chapter Two, came out. Oh my gosh, it looks so... I love the way they did that trailer. That it's just a part of a scene instead of like... Well, I, I mean, they do show clips too, but for the most part, it's just like the scene. I, I miss trailers. So I miss trailers that used to do like... I, you know, people remember like what sneak previews where they show like a, you know, minute, minute and a half clip of a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I miss stuff like that. So so yeah, when I, when I watched this, I was like... So wait, it's just a clip? Oh wait, no, it's the trailer. That's really cool. Um, and it literally scared the crap out of me because old people are frightening to me inherently. Um. <laughs> so, so someday in in one of these trailers, at some point, a little old lady is just going to be a little old lady. It's just going to be a totally innocent bystander who's just like, no, I just want to give you cookies and milk. Like, Jesus. Future, future movie idea, okay? Little old lady who is in a horror movie, and she's just like a little old lady. She's <laughs> just totally innocent little old lady. She's an old lady. I mean, look at her. She's old. Exactly. She's just like, she's like, no, I'm not evil. I just want to give you these cookies. And like, children are running from her. And she's like, goddamn horror movies. Uh. <laughs> but I, I enjoy That's like that out, uh, uh, Bill Skarsgård romantic comedy idea. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so I thought the trailer was really fun. Uh, it's Jessica Chastain looks awesome. We got a couple brief glimpses of the rest of the Losers Club, including Bill Hader. Um, so I'm in. I'm on board. I've been ready. So I, I need this now, along with the Australian Chris Hemsworth stripper movie. Now, uh, <laughs> what did everybody else think of the trailer? I'm in. Looks good. Bring it on. I like that they didn't show too much because they don't need to. People who want to yeah. watch it already want to watch it. It just gives you a little bit of a glimpse to see what these guys look like as adults and how fun it's gonna be to watch Jessica Chastain in a horror movie you know and like yeah I'm down okay well that comes out September 6th 
uh, my birthday weekend. Woohoo! I know what I'm doing. So, getting into uh, our review section. Uh, Lauren, you were at Tribeca. Do you want to give us uh, a brief highs and lows? Uh, yeah, I, I just wanted to give a brief run. And I actually just wanted to, to call out two documentaries that I saw at Tribeca. That, and Tribeca has a wonderful history of documentaries, and I think some of their best films have been docs. Um, but one, one of them that I reviewed on the website was, is, um, at the heart of, at the heart of gold, which is a, a documentary about the U S gymnastics, uh, Olympics gymnastics scandal, um, with Larry Nassar. And one of the most powerful things about this documentary, as I said in my review, and I just want to reiterate it here so that everybody goes to see it and everybody finds it on HBO is that it really does allow the victims to speak for themselves and to talk about their trauma and to talk about what was done to them and gives them the vocal power. One of the things I loved about it was the fact that Nassar almost never speaks in the entire film. Like you get clips of him, but even then you get female voiceovers talking about what he did. You get little bits and pieces of him speaking, um, but he's dominated by the voices of these women and their trauma and what they went through. And, and some of them are still children. Some of them are like 16 years old still. Uh, and it, it was really fantastic to, to see that and to have that perspective on screen rather than this being about the male monster. This really is about the female experience and them supporting each other and coming through this and surviving. And it, it's, it's a fantastic documentary. Um, the other film that I wanted to just give a quick shout out to, uh, is a film called for they know not what they do, which is about, um, the LGBTQ community and the evangelical community. Uh, and it particularly follows uh, several different families, all of them uh, either Christian, Catholic, evangelical, um, with children that come out as, as gay or trans. And about the different reactions and the way that these kids you know, survive, the way that the families react to them, the way that the parents react to them. And it's a really emotional and actually very nuanced look at this and look at the structure of belief in America, at the structure of legislation in America about um, LGBTQ people and the effects that it has. And it, it's, it's a tough documentary to watch, much like the U.S. Olympics documentary, but it's wonderful and it is actually very hopeful. Uh, and... and I think that it's one that is probably less likely to be seen. I'm not certain where it's actually going to be shown again or if it was picked up. But um, if, if, it, if it becomes available, please like see it. It's, it's a very important film. It's one of the better issue documentaries that I saw. Uh, Tribeca was, was pretty good this year. I mean, there were lots of good docs, uh, some good features, some, a lot of female filmmakers, a lot of uh, people of color. Um, and sort of a nice spread of different focuses and films. Awesome. I have never been there. I keep saying I need to do Tribeca once, but I worry about how handicap-friendly it'll be. It depends upon where it is. <laughs> exactly. Um, so where do we want to go on the rest? Uh, so Karen and I had already briefly talked about Detective Pikachu. That's available on our Patreon if you want to get our full thoughts. We both said, uh, I said I didn't care for it. Karen, you thought it was cute. It's cute. Pikachu is so cute, it like hurts to look at him and it makes me sad. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> but the movie is so fluffy and like weightless. 
Exactly. Um, that full review is on our Patreon, which you are more than welcome to subscribe to if you feel inclined. Kristen goes on a completely um, unrelated tangent that's totally worth listening to. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm very excited about that movie coming out, I think. Um... <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I went and saw Palms this week. Did anybody else see it? I saw it. Um, what did you think of it? I thought it was really cute. I thought that... <laughs> actually, it has a lot in common with Detective Pikachu. It's cute, but weightless. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I liked I liked Palms far more than Detective Pikachu. Go figure. Uh, I think I'd probably put them about the same. I would watch both of them again. Um... Yeah, I don't know. I thought Palms was... My problem with Palms was that there's really no character development, and then there's this really weird, completely unnecessary, and totally uh, false-ringing side story about these cheerleaders at the high school getting all like mean and bitchy toward these old ladies, and I'm like, uh, I've worked with a lot of teenage girls, and more likely they just want to make these guys their, their like pets, their grandmas, and not treat them like yeah i had i had a it's an issue i brought up with um shazam as well that these these kids have no issue beating the crap out of a handicapped kid and these girls have no problem just being utterly terrible to old women for no discernible reason reason whatsoever yeah yeah it just it doesn't make sense and it's like and and that's the thing, like, I have worked with a lot of teenage girls, and this isn't how they usually act, so it just, it felt very, it felt very forced, like, this really weird, unnecessary side plot that was really just to further one character, and there were so many other ways they could have done that, and so that that, that frustrated me. It, it did, but, I mean, it's a really cute movie. Jackie Weaver, I adore her, and she is by far the best best thing in this she's really good i i love her so i thought this was really cute i went with my mom my mom really enjoyed it um it's totally. a good movie to take your mom or your grandma to um but yeah. i thought it was cute it's it's harmless uh i i thought jackie weaver was really good um the weird little dance that that diane keaton does <laughs> is, is very charming um so yeah i enjoyed this um and i did I did get a chance to interview zara hayes who's the director and we talked a lot about the the ways that the elderly in this movie are treated like disabled uh people and it was really fascinating to to kind of come to those realizations as we were talking about it so it's worth it um wine country also came out this week did anybody watch it i did i did what do you think so this one is it's about a group of six friends that are celebrating the 50th birthday of one of them and they're all friends from back in the day when they used to work together at this, like, pizzeria. And um, so they've kind of all gone about their lives, but they're, they've always stayed mostly close. Like, even when they live, you know, spread out, they, they still, they've still lasted in their friendship. And, and you know, I mean, it's a, it's a, a, in a lot of ways, it's a very standard um, friendship movie about you know people that have just one thing that ties them together and we've seen these kinds of plots before a lot but one of the things I really like is that there are these six specific women plus then Tina Fey plays the person who owns the house that they're renting and so she pops in and out of the story too and what I really like is that all of them have their own distinct personalities they all 
uh, even the ones that um, are not, because, you know, you've got Rachel Dratch and Amy Poehler, who directed it, um, and you've got Maya Rudolph, but then you've got a couple of other women that are less well-known, but they also have, you know, very rounded out characters, and you can kind of know what their personalities are. It's not like... One of the things that I think is always hilarious in Pitch Perfect is those two girls whose names I still can never remember um, <laughs> who show up at the end and they're like, we've literally been here the whole time. Like every movie like this where there's a group, there's always someone like that. And I love that in Wine Country, it's not, this, it's not the case. Like every one of these women has a part in the story. They all are very interesting and, and very different from each other. I mean, it's not, again, it's not like a really deep movie. We've seen a lot of stuff like this, but I really enjoy um, the fact that there are so many movies now about women that are in middle age and getting to just be friends and getting to show that, like, this kind of stuff is normal and, and these, these friendships are normal and they should be celebrated. And I think that, that it's... You know, it's just, it's a good, it's a good thing, especially, you know, for some of us that are getting a little older to, to know that getting old doesn't mean you have to just curl up and be a recluse, you know, there's still life coming and I don't know. So I really liked it. I think it's very funny, but it's not, it's not like laughing out loud the whole time. It's just a lot of stuff was very relatable. And I was talking to a friend the other day who was just like, Psh. I didn't think, you know, this movie is just ridiculous. People don't talk like that. And I'm just going, I have literally had some of these exact conversations with my friends. <laughs> so I think this is very much a movie that you can appreciate if you're at a certain point in your life and if you've lived a certain type of life. But I think it's it's not, it's definitely not going to appeal to everybody. And that's okay. It doesn't have to. And that's on Netflix. You also watch it is on Netflix. something else on Netflix. I've watched a lot of things on Netflix. <laughs> Well, I, I'm looking at the schedule here, so I, you watched Dead to Me, I correct? I did. Did anybody else watch that? Oh yeah. my gosh. My mom Oh did. my gosh. So it's Christina Applegate yeah. and Linda Cardellini and James Marsden. It's a series, but it's, so it's 10 episode series, but the episodes are only half an hour, so you can get through it in a few hours, and it's, it's really well done. It's, um, it's a dark comedy, and Christina Applegate plays this real estate agent, here in Orange County, actually, where I live. Um, very successful. Her husband has, has died tragically in an accident. He was hit by a car. And so she's trying to grieve and, and move on. She's got two kids at home. And um, she goes to this grief support group. And there, and that's when she meets this other woman, Judy, who is played by Linda Cardellini. And the two of them kind of bond a little bit. Well, you find out very early on that Judy was driving the car that killed her husband. And she's trying to, like, get in and be friends with her. And so for a while, you don't really know what, you know, is it that is this like a single white female thing or is there something more to it? And it's it's really fascinating to watch. It's funny at times. It's very serious. It deals with a lot of really interesting topics um james marsden plays this beautiful douchebag and <laughs> otherwise known as james marsden <laughs> yeah there you go so it's really good it's really good and i love christina applegate and linda carlini in it they're fantastic so i highly recommend it my mom is obsessed with it now so thank you <laughs> you're welcome um any other netflix stuff that we want to bring up yes tuka and birdie 
Yes, go for it, Lauren. <laughs> Tuka and Birdie, which is from uh, Lisa Hanawalt, who is a, a designer and, and producer on BoJack Horseman. And so it's very similar animation to BoJack Horseman, but way more surreal and less depressing. So that's nice. Uh, and it's about a, uh, a friendship between two bird women uh, who live in the same apartment building. One is Tuka, who is a toucan and is voiced by Tiffany Haddish. And the other is Birdie, uh, voiced by Ali Wong, who is a, a songbird, although I always thought she was a sparrow, but there seems to be some disagreement about that. Um, and basically, the, fir- the first episode opens with, they, they were roommates, Tuka has to move out because Birdie wants to move in with her boyfriend Speckle, who is voiced by Steven Yoon, and he's just hilarious and so basic. <laughs> Uh, but it's just about their relationship and about the crazy adventures that they get into. It's really funny um, and also has a lot of interesting stuff to say about like sexual harassment and about um, depression and panic attacks and like alcoholism and all kinds of things, but it does it in a, in a much less intense way than, than BoJack Horseman. It is a way lighter show. And as a result, it's a little bit easier to watch. Um, I, I just, like, I've, got, I've really gotten into it. The first episode I was a little iffy about. The, by the second episode, I was like, I am into this. I am down for it. And as soon as Birdie's left breast decides to take a day off because she's tired of being sexually harassed, I was like, this is, this is great. Like, I, I love all of this. So highly recommend it. And, you know, it's... Um, it's it's also like voiced by women of color. It's a female created show. It's it's fantastic. Like I just enjoy the crap out of it. And uh, I know Karen and I saw The Hustle this week. As did I. Yeah. Oh, Kim did too. So um, I'll I'll save that to the end since all three of us saw it. I do want to give a really quick shout out to uh, Charlie Says the new Manson movie that Mary Heron and Gwyneth Turner uh, wrote and directed and uh, put out this week. If you have a chance to watch it, um, you should, because it's fantastic. But if not, it comes to VOD next week. And it's uh, a Manson movie that I actually think people should support uh, because it tells a different story. It actually tells a different story, which is really interesting. Um, so yeah. I also Oh go on. Sorry, can I just jump in? I know you guys talked about this extensively a few episodes back, but I just wanted to jump in that I finally finished watching the Lorena documentary on Amazon Yay! Prime. And holy shit, it's so good. And so I just I I mean what you guys said I'm not gonna add to it because you said it all perfectly, but just for listeners who haven't caught up with that yet, go do yourselves a favor and watch it. It's fascinating. I interviewed the director and two of the editors this week and it's like it's such a just, I'm so grateful that they did this because it's such an important story and people need to see it. I told someone earlier this week that Lorena Bobbitt's an inspiration to me and he was like, um, what? <laughs> and I'm like, no, seriously, you have to watch this because she is. And I'm just like, oh, go watch, go watch the show. Like, stop what you're doing as soon as we're done, as soon as you're done listening to this episode and go watch it. Uh, so The Hustle, this is the third remake, well, second remake of uh, the 1960 film Bedtime Story. Most people know it as the 1988 comedy Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Um, it is a gender-swapped version of that where two con women, played by Rebel Wilson and Anne Hathaway, uh, are attempting to fleece a 
tech billionaire in order to convince the other con woman to leave the city. Um, I went into this with very low expectations. I do not like Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. I don't get it. It's not a film for me. Um, and so I had very, very, you know, low hopes for this. And boy, were they met. <laughs> I will say Anne Hathaway proves that she can save any, you know, keep anything afloat. Um, and I'm loving that she's embracing this, like, old school Hollywood noir game that she kind of created with um, Daphne Kluger in Ocean's 8 and continued for better or worse with Serenity and now it's here. Um, <laughs> I want her to keep doing this because she has so much old Hollywood grace to her. And she acts like she's in a different movie if this was like a... Um, you know, take on, like, a simple favor meets Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Like, that would be interesting. Um, she, a lot of the, the stuff that I enjoyed was was her. Um, but the rest of this movie is just so dumb. Um, the Revolution State, considering the, Karen and I saw Isn't It Romantic, what, two months, three months ago? Mm -hmm. This movie yeah. completely undoes all of that, you know? Like, that movie was all about, like, body positivity and not making fun of Rebel Wilson because she's heavy, and boy... Is this movie just saying, no, we should make fun of her because she's heavy and because she's unattractive and all of that. Um, I, there's a scene where she drops a knife into the palm of her hand and I laughed about it so much and I felt terrible. because Oh, I, I thought that was hilarious because I would totally do it that. It is hilarious, but at the same time I was like, I kind of wish that was me right now so I could leave. Um, <laughs> it's just, it's just, a, it's so dumb. It's so dumb. And the, the way this movie ends by pretty much saying, ladies, you've done your part, but what you really need is a man to help keep everything in line. I really was not keen on, um, and the fact that it becomes just kind of this love triangle where Rebel Wilson's character has to know that she's attractive and that she could pull down a guy. Um, you really needed a woman writing this. Yes, there is one credited woman. I don't believe she did much. No, actually, she's the one who wrote this screenplay. The other three wrote Dirty Yeah. Oh, Scandals. well then. Yeah, I, two yeah. of them are dead. <laughs> oh. yeah i looked that up because i was like wait a second so yeah unfortunate um but but this this movie's just i didn't think it was very good um just go watch the 2001 sigourney weaver movie heartbreakers it's a way better way better take on this movie <laughs> um but what did karen kim what did you guys think of it well okay so i'm gonna spoil dirty rotten scoundrels so if you don't want to hear spoilers like skip ahead a minute or two um my biggest problem was that, I mean, first of all, Kristen, it's funny that you mentioned Daphne Kluger, because in my review, I said this is like a sequel to what would have happened to her after Ocean's 8, because she's got like this weird fake British accent that you're like, I don't think she's actually British. But I was waiting. Sure. I was waiting she's for there to be. to be some sort of explanation, because it obviously <laughs> sounds fake. Right. Yeah. So, but anyway, um, but yeah, so one of my problems was like she says in the beginning why are women better suited to the con it's because no man will ever believe a woman is smarter than he is and i'm like yeah that's exactly why dirty rotten scoundrels worked because these men would never have suspected that this woman was conning them and instead now <laughs> you've got just because it's gender swapped you've got two women who assume that this guy is a doof and so they're underestimating him the way that women the way that women are underestimated by men. So it was like, ah, you can't just gender swap for the sake of it, you know? And that's exactly what they did. So it was very 
It was very annoying. I thought that some of the jokes were funny. There were a couple of times where I was chuckling. Um, I was in a pretty crowded theater, and it was that way. Like, there were never moments where anybody was laughing really hard. But there was a lot of chuckling of like, oh, yeah, that's kind of funny, whatever. But, yeah, mostly it just, a lot of it just kind of was meh. It, it was like, it was so weird because I left the theater thinking, well, I mean, I was kind of entertained. I didn't hate it, but it's not good. And the more I thought about it, the less I liked it. But yeah. That's what I kept coming back to was just like, but the whole point of the original, or well, not the original, but the, well, yeah, the original and Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, like the whole point was that these men got duped because they underestimated a woman. No, you're exactly right. I didn't hate this. There are, there are critics out there that despise this movie. I didn't, didn't dislike it enough to hate it. It's just dumb. You'll, yeah. you'll forget about it. Uh, Kim, what did you mm-hmm. think about I looking at some of the reviews I actually came out it looks like a bit more favorable on this than most people I mean not saying that it's a good movie because it's really I think in my review I called it I, I, I called it a rehash because there's not a lot going on here I think for me Anne Hathaway saved the movie I thought she was absolutely brilliant in that and I she got most of the laughs for me I thought her performance was absolutely awesome I think I dropped an Ocean's 8 reference in my review as well talking about it because it's just she's not she didn't care about all the haters out there she is giving some damn fine fun performances and she is having an absolute blast doing it um on the same note I think uh, echoing what you kind of said Kristen I think Rebel Wilson needs to get herself a new agent. I mean, she is, you know, she keeps showing up, but she's been doing the same routine for every single movie she's in. And we're trying to do gender swap, you know, reboots of things here to, you know, tell more female directed stories. But yet here she is giving the same old, same old, you know, fat girls are funny motif which honestly is something we need to get away from because once again, we get hit in the face with, if you don't look like the Hollywood norm and don't look like Anne Hathaway, you're, you're either the, you know, a comedian or you're the funny, supportive cake eating best friend. And that I just, she was trying so hard for the laughs in there. And ultimately it didn't quite work. Um, The men were a dime a dozen. I liked, uh, Alex Sharp, the actor Thomas, I thought he was very interesting. I wanted more. Um, I and honestly watching that, it felt like a very weird casting choice because I kept harking back to Dirty Rotten Scoundrels and that kind of motif there. I could see they were, tr- you know, they were trying to make him into this, you know, adorable little innocent, and he just there was at times where he just felt like a high schooler to me. And there's one point where they have Anne Hathaway's hitting on him and he's got a backpack on. And it's like, why are we, why are we talking that way to the underage boy? It just felt like they weren't, there was something with that character that they didn't understand. And that kind of echoes out to the character development really throughout the whole movie. There was so much there with Josephine, the Anne Hathaway character, which they could have played with more. I wanted more of her relationship with the her kind of cohort the police investigator wanted more there wanted just more information on who she is and the film never gives it 
Penny you never learn anything about. And for a movie that's a remake of a remake, they should be diving into this more. Because honestly, they're not giving us any more than the other two films have. And, I mean, I'm not great with Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, but I'm okay with it. I've watched it. I watched that a lot growing up. Um, I don't think this is... I could see what they were trying to do, but the fact is that you kept... The script was so similar that they're giving the original writers on this credit what new is legitimately even being said. And honestly, if we're doing new reboots, we should be able to tell new stories. They could have told a new story about a female, two female con people and had a far more interesting movie than what they did. Alright, so that's... Imagine if Paul Feig were gender-swapping Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. It would be a completely <laughs> different experience. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, so that's going to close out this episode, but we did want to say this is actually Kim's last episode. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh... Kim, Kim is going to go off to uh, get Citizen Dame Productions going. I... No, she's... She's work. We're working. I have. I have. I've. I think I've talked about it before. I have been doing the screenwriting thing since I probably high school, and got the. I've been putting it on the back burner a lot for the last number of years, and just had the bug bite me again, and just want to put some focus on that. Got a lot of things, just in my head that I want to get on paper, and I'm trying to kind of re align my life but I will still be doing a bit of reviewing I'll still be around so you know it's that's not goodbye I'll just be I'll be still be everywhere you guys normally find me exactly so <laughs> she we wanted to to properly say farewell I didn't come up with a song or a poem I thought about it <laughs> I thought about it but I didn't goodbye think, good luck it's, yes. it's been be amazing missed, experience but, but yeah touch or we'll be pissed. Yes, exactly. Thank you. I was trying to rhyme all certain things. I was trying to find something that rhymes with Kim. So. <laughs> I got that off the card. <laughs> <laughs> and it is also Mother's Day at the time we're recording this. It will. So, so be sure to call your mom if you haven't done that already, people. Um, so, yeah, that's going to close us out. Uh, you can find Citizen Dame a variety of different places. We are on iTunes. Wherever you get your podcasts, we are on Spotify. We are also now on SoundCloud. So if you want to find us, just Google uh, Citizen Dame SoundCloud. We don't have a really cool um, URL yet. I don't really know how that works. I'm still playing around with it. But we are on there if you want to listen to us uh, via SoundCloud. You can send us questions, comments, what have you, at our Twitter at Citizen Dame Pod. We are also on Instagram at Citizen Dame Pod. If you want to leave us a Facebook message, because you're still on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash citizendame. And as always, we have our email, which is citizendamepod at gmail.com. Uh, you can head over to our official website, which is filled with our regular top fives this week. In honor of Mother's Day, we're talking about movie, our favorite movie moms. Uh, Lauren does her Dame column. My review of Charlie Says is up there. Uh, as well as my upcoming review on Ask for Jane, that's citizendamepod.com. If you want to support us with your money, you can do that a couple of ways. We have some off-neglected merchandise at our Zazzle store, zazzle.com slash citizendame. If you want to do a one-time uh, donation to us, we have a Ko-Fi account. That's ko-fi.com slash citizendame. Ko with a K-O in case you're confused by that. 
Um, and then if you want to get all the perks of, of Citizen Dame, you can do that at our Patreon. Uh, for just a couple bucks, you can get access to our exclusive Citizen Dame pins, as well as all of our bonus content. We're prepping to uh, do our Man From Uncle show soon, uh, as well as getting all of the episodes a full 48 hours before they go out to everybody else. Uh, that's patreon.com slash citizen dame. What does everybody have on tap this week? So many FYCs things. Like, Karen's <laughs> just so cool. Yeah. What am I doing this week? I think <laughs> I'm going to uh, think with the music composers um, for some of the Netflix shows. And then there's like um, uh, Haunting of Hill House conversation. Like I feel like Karen needs to say all this in a really exaggerated British accent. <laughs> oh, I'm just hanging out with music producers and <laughs> producers, darling. The, the composers. I had to think what the word was. <laughs> I like that your English accent has a twang that sounds like it's from New York. It's like if you're an English person born in like Brooklyn or something. Um, <laughs> I love it. I love it so very, very much. Um, Lauren, what do you have on tap? I'm going to see Detective Pikachu tomorrow. Oh my gosh, she's so excited! I'm very excited to hear your thoughts because I know you are the most excited. The hell out of it. He's got a little hat. He does it it's so cute. He's, he's, got a he's hat. so cute. Like it, it seriously hurts my heart how cute he is. <laughs> see, that's all I want. <laughs> Guess like... wait, you're gonna get so much cuteness. You won't know what to do with it. This week has been such shit in so many ways. Like, I just need a cute little Pikachu with a hat. Like, that's it. Exactly. Um, I don't know. I have nothing on tap this week. I do know that next Saturday, you, Karen and I, go see Aladdin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good luck with that. A whole new world with you. Japan. I'm not... I'm not saying anything, but if y'all could see my face right now, I'm really fucking excited. <laughs> it's a Disney movie. Um, He's not going to be that sexy in a Disney movie. Hi, have you met me? I will make anything sexy, even a Disney movie. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say, like, Scar <laughs> is sexy, okay, so... What if we talk about anim... That's an animated line. What if we line. talk about animated characters, okay? I can't do that, okay? There's a line, and that animated characters is it. <laughs> um, so... I've heard you talk about Scar. <laughs> yeah. I, no comment. Um, anywho. So, yeah, that's gonna close us out. We will be back next week uh you can find me on twitter at journeys underscore film karen where are you on twitter and instagram at karen m peterson and lauren humphreys brooks i am at lh business and our our kimberly pierce our beloved happy kim pierce <laughs> twitter and instagram at kpierce624 so till next week everybody bye